the scary thing about sugar is it is extremely addictive. It is yep. as addictive or more addictive than cocaine. Listening to the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast, the exploration of life fully optimized with Megan Hotman. Hey there, Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast listeners. Today's episode is brought to you by our newest sponsor, Wild Zora. This company is owned by husband and wife duo Josh and Zora Tabin, and they are based up in Loveland. And I actually know Josh and Zora personally, and I had the opportunity to tour their facility a few weeks ago. This is such a cool company, and I happened to get hooked on their products well before I actually met the owners. Um, their ingredients are all natural and amazing. They source everything locally, organically, sustainably grown, and then they package and produce it all there in their facility in Loveland, and they both live in Fort Collins. They've got these great meat and veggie bars, which contain grass-fed organic beef or uh, other meat products, as well as a full serving of fresh vegetables, organic vegetables. Um, The newest product that they just launched, which I'm really fired up about, is their basically just add hot water oatmeal bags. They're perfect for camping, but frankly, they're also just perfect for taking with you to the office and when you're on the go because the bags are meant to hold the hot water. So all you have to do is add some boiling water to the container and you can eat this amazing oatmeal right out of there. It's got dehydrated nuts and berries and coconut and all kinds of good fats and nutrients. It's really amazing food that quite frankly fills the gap for many of us when we're trying to eat healthy, good foods when we're on the go. So Wild Zora's website is wildzora.com. And they are offering our listeners a 20% discount on your order using the code HOTMAN, H-O-T-T-M-A-N, at checkout. You can also just click their logo at the bottom of our website, and it will take you straight to a page. But make sure to use that code at checkout. I just want to give one pitch to the um, specific breakfast cereal that I'm really obsessed with right now. It's called the Palisade Pineapple Mango. They call it a paleo meal to go, and it does contain 10 grams of protein. By the way, for those of you who are anti-gluten, it does not contain any gluten, no grain, no milk, and no added sugar. So when you see these products, you will be a true believer and a true fan just like I am. They also have a butte cocoa banana oatmeal cereal as well as a cliffside coconut berry cereal. It's really incredible stuff, and having seen their facility and seen exactly how this stuff is made, it's fantastic. So check out WildZora at wildzora.com. Use the code HOTMAN at checkout. Save yourself some money. Give these products a shot and fuel yourself for maximum enthusiasm and full optimization when you are out on the go in your busy life. All right, you guys. It's time to get real. These next two episodes with my guest, Kat, talk all about the things that we put into ourselves and that we surround ourselves with and what a difference it can make in terms of your full optimization and therefore your life of maximum enthusiasm. We don't pull any punches. We go straight to the topics that you may or may not want to hear about the things that you eat and drink, the things that you wear, the things in your home the things that you cook your food in, and quite frankly, just the way that you approach how you care for that physical vessel that you've been given. So in episode one, we focus primarily on diet and nutrition. Kat talks about her belief now in the pagan diet, uh, which is sort of a play on words, a combination of vegan and paleo, and of course those two don't go together, but the concept is that it's moderation in all the right things. And she talks about her journey through vegetarianism and veganism into the place where she's at right now. And what I really like about Kat's message and the biggest takeaway is that all of our bodies are different and we all optimize in different ways. And so she, you'll notice, doesn't really prescribe a specific paleo or vegan or vegetarian diet for listeners. Instead, she really emphasizes a heavily plant-based diet 
with organic vegetables specifically, and then very small quantities, essentially to add flavor and a bit of um, protein and nourishment from very organically raised grass-fed beef or organic uh, wild-caught fish and organically and sustainably raised, humanely raised, I should say, um, chicken. I really like the message that she preaches because she comes at it from a scientific background as well as a nutrition background and, quite frankly, a long experimental background where she's tried different things. And she refers to herself as the canary in the coal mine because she unfortunately suffers from quite a few food allergies that make... Um, make her eating approach even a little bit more complex than perhaps for most of us. But she definitely encourages us to steer clear of dairy. And she talks about that. She talks about grains and why we definitely should be wary of those. And she debunks some of the myths that we've heard. And I think really the most powerful thing about this is just her journey and her story. She shares with us the titles of a few books that she's written. And I will include those titles and links to those books on the website. Also, I want to encourage you to check out Kat on Instagram. I will include a post to her Instagram feed on the website as well so that you can click and give her a follow. I hope that you find episode one so educational and informative that you come back for episode number two. For now, let's get into it with how to fully optimize that physical vessel of yours with my friend Kat. I am so excited to dive into some of these nutritional, um, dietetic, uh, you know, just food issues with you. I'm really excited about this. I'm, I'm excited too. I can't wait to talk about it. I've got lots and lots to talk about so we can go as long as we um, need to, but you can stop me whenever as well. Right on. Well, it's always fun to have guests who, you know, are overflowing with excitement and passion for the, the topics that they, you know, they've been invited to share. So let's dig right in. Um, okay. Just for our listeners so that they know, Kat is appearing by phone, and I think we've got the audio pretty well sorted out here. But my guest today is Kat Ebeling. Is that how you say your last name? Yes. And yes. Kat has become kind of my go-to reference and resource for exploring things like the vegan diet that I've been experimenting with pretty seriously since the spring and just nutritional, you know, um, advantages and edges for those of us who are athletes and just trying to be our best human self. Uh, the theme of this podcast is maximum enthusiasm. And part of that is just how do we become our very best, most optimized human self on a day-to-day -day basis? And obviously what we put into our bodies plays a huge part in that. So um, Kat, let's just start by, you sent me a link recently talking about the Pegan diet with a P, which is essentially the, the, you know, the combination of a vegan diet and a, and a paleo diet, so to speak, uh, and it emphasizes you know, clean meats, lots and lots of vegetables. Let's just kick off. Why don't you just tell me what you think we should all be putting into our bodies? Okay. Well, first of all, I just want to say, and you hit the nail on the head, I have spent my life, literally spent my life since I was a teenager, looking at and curious. It's like, how do we optimize this machine we've been given? Because truly, there's got to be a way by, you know, what the fuel that we put into it, the way we treat our bodies, and of course, exercise and other lifestyle factors. So I have used myself with a lot of research <laughs> and education behind that. But as a human lab rat and as, a, as an athlete, who I've been a lifelong athlete, so I have used all of my research and all of my experimentation with diet on my athletic performance, as well as, you know, things like skin and hair and nails and appearance, too. But um, so, yes, I, um, I have arrived at the pagan diet. Um, I, I have gone through pretty much virtually every diet um, and every diet that was kind of a fad diet, nothing like nothing crazy but you know virtually every big fad diet I have tried um you know the Mediterranean diet the South Beach diet um I was a vegetarian and a vegan for 15 years um and there's a good story behind why I'm not anymore but um and then I switched over to a paleo but having been a, a vegetarian for so many years I I see the the results in how I feel by eating lots and lots of um, healthy, fresh, organic vegetables, but adding in a little bit of high-quality protein. And that that is my um, go-to diet, and I, I stick with that. Um, and when I stray off of it, I can, I can tell it makes a big difference. Well, that was 
awesome as an introduction. That was fantastic. I want to first start you with the interesting story because you said something obviously converted you away from the vegan diet. Do you mind sharing what that experience was? Sure, sure. Um, and you know, it's, I look at all these other people who get into vegan diets and we're all different in the way our body handles nutrition, the way we digest and absorb nutrients and how we react to certain foods. But um, I, I started out again as, a, first I eliminated red meat, then I became a vegetarian. And then I eliminated all animal products except butter. I still I, I use butter once in a while, but um, I definitely eliminated pretty much everything. And I was strict about it. Um, but I noticed, the first thing I noticed was there were certain points in time when I would absolutely positively crave protein like crazy. And I would, I had a boyfriend at the time who was a strict vegan too. And I would sneak out and go get like a filet of fish sandwich or a piece of chicken or something. And I'm sneaking <laughs> eating meat because I, I, I just, it was like, Oh my God, I got to have some protein. And so I started that way. Um, and then I started noticing some other weird health things. And for a long time, you know, you're, you have this mindset of I'm eating the most healthy diet that possibly can be. It can't be from my diet. But ah. I was beginning to have things like um, yeast infections and lots and lots of allergies and oh. stuffy head all the time, um, anxiety and depression. And um, I actually even started, my teeth started chipping. I, oh, wow. I, I mean, like I would bite into something pretty, you know, a carrot or something, and a hunk of my tooth would break off. So <laughs> there's oh my obviously gosh. a problem there. And the big, the big thing that really caught my attention, because, again, I didn't really attribute my diet to any of these weird health things. I was like, well, I don't know. You know, my face was breaking out. My skin was kind of funky and, and um, flaky and just a zillion weird little health things. And um, I got pregnant. I was married. And um, I'm in the grocery store. And I think I was, you know, two months into it. And I'm picking up groceries for my husband and I. And I'm over there at the steaks. He was a meat eater. And I pick up two T-bones, two. <laughs> and I thought, those look really good. And I, it freaked me out because I had been 15 years without meat. And I knew, I thought, oh, it's going to make me sick. I don't, I don't want to eat some dead animal. Sure. And I bring them home and I make dinner. And my husband's like, why are there two? And I said, you know, I just thought it looked kind of good. And maybe it's this weird, you know, weird pregnancy cravings or something. And these were big T-bones. Okay. And I said, I thought, I thought, I'll just try a bite. It'll probably make me sick. And he's looking at me. And, you know, 30 seconds later, I had devoured a massive T-bone. And he's looking at me with his mouth open like, what happened to you? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know, but it just tasted really good. And it's like I needed it. And the next day I go in for my, you know, once a month checkup. And the doctor says, we, we need to check your um, iron levels. And he comes back and he goes, you are severely anemic. And oh. I, I started laughing. I'm like, oh, that's why I just devoured a steak last night, isn't oh. it? He said, absolutely. He said, your body needs iron. And he said, you know, he had already said you can be a vegan if you're really careful with it. But um, he said, you need, you need iron and you need protein. And uh, so I switched right then and there. And um, I kept most of my vegetarian diet Um I didn't do dairy. I didn't do a lot of grains. And then I switched over and just started adding a little bit of meat, fish, and chicken in. And it was dramatic. All those little health things that I was dealing with went away. Wow. And I was, I mean, it was shocking. It's like, oh, my God, all those things were attributed to my diet. How could that be? And um, I, it was amazing to me. And just the energy I felt and the strength and um, the clearness of my thoughts and my focus and just everything, everything. Wow. So that's my story. Well, and so it sounds like what you would encourage is, is a diet that is primarily plant-based with just the very occasional addition of some lean grass-fed beef, um, you know, sustainably and humanely raised chicken or, yes. um, you know, naturally, um, you know, occurring fish as opposed to like factory farm fish. And it sounds like you're using these things more for the occasional side dish as opposed to the main dish, you know, seven days yes. a week. Yeah. And I would say probably three quarters of my diet revolves around, um, healthy, 
fresh organic vegetables, whether they're raw or cooked. Some vegetables actually are absorbed better if they're cooked, but we can get into that in another sure. discussion. But, sure. um, you know, I, I think that having fresh vegetables in your diet is super important. There's just so many ingredients and phytochemicals and antioxidants and everything else that work well. And then just, yeah, like you said, supplementing with a little bit of either meat, fish, or chicken, and all sustainably raised. Another thing that I think is really interesting, and I'm very in tune with what my body craves and what tastes good to it and what doesn't. I didn't like the taste of red meat, and that's how I first became a vegetarian and why I eliminated that, because it tasted, I don't know, disgusting to me, dead. And I, um, one of the things when I first started eating red meat again is I started working with a company that was uh, grass-fed, they, they did grass-fed beef. And it was one of the first big companies that really got into it commercially. And so, of course, I had a discount and I started trying all the grass-fed beef because I thought, I don't want to like beef. I don't know if I can deal with this. Sure. And I started eating grass-fed beef and I was like shocked at, one, how well my body digested it and, and assimilated it. And two, how good it tasted to me compared to CAFO, you know, commercially raised beef. Right. It was, it's dramatic. So it's like your body knows what it needs. And that's the other point I wanted to make. And and I I think we get a little bit out of tune. You sometimes start listening to cravings that are telling you things you shouldn't be doing, like, oh, I'm craving ice cream, sure. or I'm craving chocolate, or I'm craving, you know, something sweet. But, you know, if you listen carefully to the things your body is craving, especially when it has to do with healthy food, I notice if I have had an especially hard workout or if I've ridden 50, 100 miles or um, if, if I feel like my body's kind of drained physically, I want red meat. I can tell it's like my muscles need that protein and that iron and all those good things that are in that red meat. Or if I've just had, you know, I don't know if I've just gone several days without having good protein. It's like, no, I need a piece of fish or I need a piece of chicken or whatever it is. It's like I listen to those cravings. And, you know, I crave salads too when I go to, I travel a lot. And when I go to different countries, sometimes you can't walk up to the, the buffet and right. have it <laughs> right. and make a massive big salad. And there'll be days when, you know, I go three or four days without a salad and I'm just like, oh my God, I gotta have those vegetables. <laughs> my body's like calling out for that stuff. Yeah. And so yeah, I, I, I agree. I think you should I really think you should listen to those cravings. And so the interesting thing on that topic is you know, you and I actually connected as a result of some some cycling legal conversations and topics, but then very quickly we started talking about these overwhelming sugar cravings I was having earlier this year during a time when I was experiencing tremendous emotional and mental stress as well as physical stress all at the same time. And I had people suggesting things to me like adrenal fatigue. The, um, the story I tell is that it was as though the hand at the end of my arm was not even connected to me because it was so compulsively reaching for sugar. It was like I was out of control and I could not feed the beast wow. fast enough with the sugar cravings. And, um, you know, as you and I have talked about since, you know, I had a bunch of blood work done and we found exactly why those things were happening. And a lot of it was as a result of cortisol and the way that stress can trigger your fight or flight, which then prompts this desire for sugar, yes. you know, yes. to get you away from the saber toothed tiger that, you know, our, our ancestors were trying to run away from. So then when you talk about cravings and, and you say it's important to acknowledge sort of what the actual craving is. Um, you know, you and I have talked about how sugar is really the devil and actually fat, how good it is for us with the butter or the ghee or the extra MCT oils or coconut oils. So can you talk a little bit about that and what we can do if we feel that sugar craving come on to try and, and pivot to a healthier, better solution? Yes. Um, well, let me make one point about sugar and it's, it's kind of a caveat, but it's not really for everyone. But Sugar, generally, if you're craving sugar, that's one of those cravings you should probably not give in to. Totally. Your body really needs something else. But the one time that you actually may need sugar, just to address the athletes out there, is 
immediately after a super hard performance, if you have a race or a hard workout or something like that, I've noticed, um, and you, you drain your glycogen stores. You, you know, even if you're efficient at burning fat, you will drain your glycogen stores sure. too, especially if you do something like a sprint or something. I'm a, I'm a former sprinter, so I, sure. I felt that. But um, the one time you need sugar is like, okay, I just sprinted a race and, you know, <laughs> totally just took every ounce of energy out of me, I could have some sugar. My body will absorb it and put it back in my little tank of glycogen, which is very small. But other than that, no, don't stay. You got to stay away from sugar. And the, the scary thing about sugar is it is extremely addictive. It is yep. as addictive or more addictive than cocaine. When they look at people's brains, yep. their brain lights up sugar just like it does with a drug. And it's, um, it's kind of scary. And, it, and I noticed that it's like, if I start on sugar and I try to, I generally stay away from it, but you know, occasionally it's like, okay, I want a cupcake. Right? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, it, it really kind of feeds itself and I have to like, yep. you know, for the maybe 24 hours after that, it's like, okay, I had some sugar and I'm not going to listen to that little voice right. in my head that says, I want more. Right. It's like a miniature detox every time you kind of open that door up again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you, you're right about the fight or flight. Um, that's all that really glucose in our body was made for. It was made for um, something to keep in that emergency holding tank that was for when we needed to run away from a dinosaur or saber-toothed tiger or when we need to do a sprint or something to save our lives, basically. And the rest of the time, our bodies should be running off a fat-burning um, off a fat burning mode and for most of the people in this country who are eating poorly high carb high sugar diets they're feeding that little tiny tank that is only meant for those high intensity things but when that tank gets empty your body says put it somewhere in the tank but if you are constantly only using that fuel and never accessing your fat burning fuel tank, then your body will tell you to keep putting sugar in that tank and you never get to that other point. So there is a transition there and there is a point where you have to kind of wean yourself off sugar for that. Right. Well, and as you mentioned, both with those tiny little glucose tank and, and glycogen, you can only store, I've read anywhere from like 800 to 1200 calories of glycogen. And it's typically like yes. in your big muscles, in your legs and stuff. So, you know, the old fat of, of, quote, carbo-loading before a big race and stuff is kind of a misnomer because you really can only top off those tanks to a certain level. And then from yeah. there, your body's going to convert all the extra into, into fat, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, your body will take any type of carbohydrate, whether it is, you know, whole grains or whole wheat or oatmeal or any kind of carbohydrate, or any kind of sugar, and it all turns into glucose. And they try to put it, you know, your body will try to put it in that tank, and if that little tank is full, which it doesn't take very much, um, then your body will convert all of that glucose into little fat cells that get put in various parts of your body and um, stored. So, you know, that's, that's the big problem that we have with the weight gain. People are addicted to sugar and the corn syrup, yeah. and... Um, they just, it's just a never ending cycle of, um, eating, craving, weight gain, eating, craving, weight gain, and it just gets worse and worse. You know, and it's interesting too, because the more I kind of dig into the food systems here in our country and I start to say, why is there corn syrup in everything? Why is there sugar in my freaking ketchup and in my soup yeah. for crying out loud? You know, there's a bit of a political backstory there, which is that the government basically pays farmers to grow corn that we, we frankly don't need. And so then it's got to be converted into corn syrup and, and put in everything. And so, you know, what I hear you saying as a consumer and as someone who wants to be fully optimized is check the label for everything. Don't buy anything with uh, high fructose corn syrup or corn syrup. If it has to have sugar, make sure that it's, you know, cane sugar, but, but minimal levels. Are there more specific recommendations you would make? Well... You know, I've been, and this is funny, but I actually have been blessed with food allergies. And my food allergies have to do with things that aren't good for me. And <laughs> I, you know, it's like, I, I sometimes wonder, it's like, wow, was this a mental thing? But oh, they are definitely, you know, I definitely have a reaction. But my big allergy is to corn and corn syrup. Oh, wow. So talk about reading labels. <sighs> uh, and my second one is glucose, or uh, not glucose, gluten. Gluten, yeah. And yep. wheat and, and grains. But, um, so I, 
I have learned from, you know, 15 years ago or so that I have to read every label. And anytime I walk into a conventional grocery store, it is shocking because 80 to 85% of the things that you pick up in a grocery store, it is absolutely really hard to find anything that does not contain corn syrup and things you would never think of, like, you know, tomato sauce and beef jerky and everything. It's just like, oh my God, why is it in everything? Um, and there's, you know, there's more of a story to it than that. And this is, we could do a whole podcast on the whole sugar industry and how it has pervaded our society and our whole food system. Um, and I think the sugar industry knows full well, and that includes corn syrup as well, oh, yeah. how addictive it is. And they are, the big food companies are like, hey, let's put this super cheap, addictive substance yep. in all our foods because it will keep everybody buying it. You know, there are days when I have these overwhelming sugar cravings, and I have to tell you one of the things that keeps me strong is the fact that I'm not going to let some corporate conglomerate trick me, and um, I'm not going to name names of some of the companies that come to mind, but when I'm really craving sugar, I think, um, nope, I'm not going to let that company hook me on their product because I know it's been designed essentially to set me up to fail, and so that that keeps me strong. Mine is triggered by, you know, and I can eat sugar, but uh, mine is triggered by a similar thing where it's like, nope, I'm allergic to corn syrup, and I know that if I eat any of that, and sugar too, yep. I'm going to feel terrible the next day. I, I'm hungover, yeah. I'm sluggish, I'm slow, I'm foggy, and um, yeah, and you know, that, that kind of brings me back to carb loading. I tried carb loading when I was an athlete, and I felt terrible. Yep. I actually felt terrible. I was sluggish and foggy and slow. And I thought, I don't know how athletes do this and expect that it's going to improve their performance because it didn't do anything for me. No. Not a bit. No, you're basically in a food coma with a sugar hangover on the day of your race. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you touch on gluten and then you also mentioned earlier dairy. So I want to talk about those two things because at least with respect to my recent food journey, um, I try to avoid gluten because I know how it makes me feel. I'm not celiacs, I'm not gluten intolerant, but it makes me feel like garbage. But then also dairy, I've removed dairy from my diet because of all the inflammatory um, results from that, and especially the dairy industry sort of perpetuating this myth that we have to have milk. And the more I read and I see all these athletes moving away from dairy, um, you know, share your thoughts on those two things. Okay, um, dairy. I actually left dairy when I was, I don't know, 18 or 19 years old, actually. Um, And it was only because I had moved into this vegan diet and I thought I would try to eliminate it. Here's the interesting thing about many foods that we eat every day, all the time. If you're eating them once, twice, three times a day, whether it's, um, and there's there's a list of some of the top five ones that are most inflammatory, but many people have sensitivity, allergic, Um, inflammatory reactions to these foods. Dairy is one, gluten is one, corn is one, um, and there's another whole list of them beyond that too. But those three things people are eating every day all the time and they don't realize that those things are causing problems because they're in the diet, they're sort of firmly enmeshed in their day-to-day life. And until you take those things out, it's um, people don't realize how good they can feel. And that was, um, that was my first um, sort of realization that some of the foods I was eating were actually contributing to some of my um, sort of not really – and just not feeling good, you know. I was right. sluggish and slow, and my face was breaking out. But when I got away from dairy, that was the first the first revelation. And I all of a sudden my my face cleared up because I was having issues with acne even at age twenty. <laughs> my face was breaking out. I had dark circles under my eyes a lot of times, and I was kind of sleepy and foggy. And um, I took dairy out, and I was like, "Whoa, I don't have these. I don't have this sinus issue anymore." Um, my face cleared up. I had tons of energy. And then, you know, one step beyond that, again, down the road, I took gluten out of my diet. And again, it was like this other, this, another step upward on this scale of energy. It was like, oh my God, I am clear headed. I am energetic. I feel fantastic. And it was, it was such a startling revelation to me. I thought, you know, 90% 90% of the world has no idea that right. you can feel this good. 
it was just shocking. Same result here. I think sometimes we become convinced that that's the norm. And for me, removing gluten and realizing that my belly didn't have to be distended and uncomfortable all the time. And yeah. as you mentioned with dairy and sort of that sinus postnasal drip, um, but the inflammation in terms of my joints and how much better I feel having removed dairy, which as I dig into it on a cellular level, I realize that our body is actually somewhat attacking um, dairy when we eat it, which is what's prompting yeah. that inflammation. Um, so here's one of the things I've been struggling with. It's a very specific question for you, which is if we understand that dairy overall is really not good for us, and I would say it's in, because of the form in which it's produced now. It's full of chemicals, hormones. Um, it's the way that our, our dairy animals are, are raised more than anything. Um, but then there's also this other side of things where, you know, probiotics and yogurt and these great, um, you know, gut biomes, these things that we want to take care of as far as that bacteria goes, how do we kind of reconcile no yogurt with kind of the realization that probiotics are good? Well, first of all, and I'm allergic to yogurt, I, I probably would eat it once in a while because any kind of dairy that is fermented, whether it's like a cheese that's aged for a long time or um, a yogurt that has um, got probiotics in it and that has gone through a fermentation process, those kind of foods are actually easier for your body to digest and assimilate. But that being said, we are not baby cows or baby <laughs> sheep or baby whatever. We are humans, and our bodies are not really made to break apart and assimilate the phytochemicals and the chemicals that are in dairy because our bodies just we're not baby cows. Those are for right. that is for baby cows. That is to grow into a big cow. Yep. And those protein molecules that are in dairy are very difficult for our bodies to handle. And for the most part, we tend to um, have issues with breaking that chemical or that protein down and being able to assimilate it. And one of the things I learned that I thought was really interesting about dairy was, um, and I, I have a pretty strong allergy to dairy. Okay. I notice instantly, and I'll feel bad for the next day or so. But mm. um, when dairy is pasteurized, it that heating up process actually changes the protein molecule, the casein in the dairy, and it takes a long chain molecule and actually distorts it up like you're wadding up a piece of paper. Mm. And so um, your body then looks at that when you're drinking pasteurized milk or eating pasteurized cheese, which, you know, in this country, that's most of the dairy that mm -hmm. we're eating. Um, and it's like this is a foreign object and it can't break that molecule down as well as it can when it is in its natural form as in like unpasteurized dairy. And one of the things I discovered was um, when I discovered that little, that little information about um, the protein molecules was that if I drank unpasteurized dairy, like unpasteurized milk, or if I eat unpasteurized cheese, which you can actually buy unpasteurized cheese, it's usually European and it's, it's actually really good. Mm. <laughs> but I don't react. And it's like, wow, again, this is like, oh, test, here I am. I'm going to use myself as a, the crash test dummy sure. and try this. And I was like, wow, this is really pretty surprising that I can have a strong re allergic reaction to pasteurized dairy. But when I drink past unpasteurized milk, raw milk, which, you know, you have to sneak out in the dark of night to get here. Right. Anyway, but, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, or, or eat unpasteurized cheese it's like wow no reaction nothing happens i don't even notice it so that's an interesting part of, of dairy but um yep. we don't really need dairy our bodies everyone thinks oh we gotta have calcium but if you're eating a balanced diet and not creating that inflammatory process our bodies are actually able to get calcium and we also need magnesium and boron and several other minerals to all go into that mixture that we need for our bones but that you can break down from eating a healthy diet of fresh fruits and vegetables and healthy proteins. We don't need to have milk. And, and to address your a question about fermentation, um, there are, and this is kind of cool because it's like fermented foods have actually kind of hit the mainstream. They sure so there's have. plenty of fermented foods out there. And, you know, even wine and chocolate are considered fermented right. foods. Right. I don't recommend you overload on those, but <laughs> I, 
I am addicted to kombucha. I drink it every day. It's full of Me too. healthy bacteria. I think it helps my digestion. I just notice, and maybe it's mental and maybe it's not, I notice that after I drink a bottle of kombucha, I feel happier yes. and more alert and more vibrant. And I think it's all those little bacteria I've released in my body and they're, you know, doing their thing. Yep. So, yeah, so there's lots of other foods to eat. You know, you can get fermented sauerkraut. You can get all kinds of fermented vegetables now, and you can make your own as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've recently started experimenting with with kimchi and and, um, fermenting my own vegetables, and it's actually very, very easy to make your own saltwater brine and do that. Oh, yeah. And brewing kombucha at home has become a very accessible and easy thing, too. So that's just an example of getting probiotics without the need for dairy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Very cool. So um, realizing that every person is very different, every body is very specific, I'm going to ask you to generalize here for our listeners. If someone's listening and they're saying, all right, what do you recommend I eat for the start through the finish of my day on a general day to be my most fully optimized human self? What would you recommend? Okay, and I'm going to generalize this down a little bit. But um, in 2009, when I wrote my first book, that actually was the basis of my first book. And it it was a little bit ahead of its time at that time. It was kind of cutting edge, but now it's become a bit more mainstream. But the whole first section of the book is um, it talks about all these foods that we've been told were healthy, but they're actually not. Mm. Um, you know, things like whole grains and whole wheat, um, cheese, uh, vegetable oils, margarine, you know, all those things. Right. Those things are terrible. They are not healthy. Um, <laughs> but you know, we have now evolved into eating a more primal diet that's a little bit more based on things that come out of nature and are raised naturally as opposed to all these things that have been doctored and changed and um, gone through this whole process. Um, so my big thing that I, and it's this is really simplified down to as simple as you possibly can. Okay. Um, avoid grains of all kinds. Okay. So that means whole wheat, whole, you know, oatmeal. I don't, I once in a while eat oatmeal, but I rarely do because again, it's a whole grain. Um, any type of whole grain, no matter how healthy they package it, avoid any type of sugar. Um, I do try to eat, or I don't try to, but I do occasionally eat like maple syrup or, or honey, but I generally stay away from most any sugar because sugar is sugar in our bodies. Um, so those are the two big things, grains and sugars. If you can keep those two things out of your system and then concentrate on eating healthy, naturally raised proteins, and that is a big thing because um, the way our protein is raised has a whole lot to do with the nutrients that are in it and the fats that are sure. in it. And it's like two different types of food. Yep. If you're eating like you know, grass-fed beef versus conventionally raised beef or right. farm-raised fish versus wild-caught fish. It's totally different. So if you can eat healthy, naturally raised proteins, and the same with fats, try to get healthy, natural fats. And that means fats that have not had anything done to them, like canola oil. That is so unnatural. Do you you walk around and see a field of canola oil? (laughs) No. Do you see that? Does that come from animals? No. It's it's a highly industrialized processed oil. So that's one you really have to stay away from. So, you know, healthy fats like butter and ghee and coconut oil. And, you know, the one that actually has a little bit of processing, but very little is olive oil. I like olive oil too. So, you know, those fats and even lard, you know, if you're eating naturally raised, um, no chemicals, um, if you're eating bacon that has none of that stuff in it, I actually save the fat from it and I'll cook an egg in it the next day or whatever gotcha. because that's, a, that's actually healthy fat. Um, so those are, my, those are my biggies. And then, you know, tons and tons of fresh, raw, organic veggies. Um, and organic, again, is key because there are so many nutrients missing from conventionally raised vegetables now. If you can get organic and local, you are so much better off. Well, and the absence of pesticides, right, from the commercially grown. Huge. Yeah. Huge, yeah. We just saw that huge lawsuit come down with that monster verdict against Monsanto for the the pesticides causing um, human ailments that are significant. So that's 
you know, clearly organic is always more expensive and there are great lists online that will tell you which vegetables and fruits to prioritize to make the ones, you know, the ones that you must always get organic. For example, I know strawberries are on there because you pretty much can't wash the pesticides off of a strawberry, um, as one example. So if you were going to give us like a handful of power foods that we should really try to include in our day as go-tos, what would you suggest? Oh, goodness. Um, and here's one of the things. I have to change my mindset because I've had to eliminate a few foods because of just food allergies. Sure, but sure. For most people, they can eat them. Um, power foods. Okay, so, you know, everyone was into kale a couple of years ago. Kale, kale, kale. But kale is actually a member of a super powerful vegetable group that I think people need to eat at least two or three times a week, if not more. And that is cruciferous veggies. And that's a big family too. A lot of people don't realize it, but things like arugula and kale and um, different types of greens like mustard greens. And um, of course there's broccoli and cauliflower and Brussels sprouts and the list can go on and on, but cruciferous vegetables, I would highly recommend. That's a superfood that everyone needs to eat. Um, that's one that actually probably is better absorbed if you cook it lightly, though. Some of those, okay. some of those nutrients in those foods are actually, um, they actually get released when you cook them a little bit. But um, So that's one. Um, I think nuts are an excellent food. Um, they're a great snack. They are high in healthy fats. They are high in protein and very low glycemic. So if you need a snack, nuts are a great one because they're very satisfying and, and um, they get they take away those cravings that you know keep you from like grabbing a box of crackers or whatever. Um, and again, you know, back to the healthy fats and the healthy proteins. I, I mean, those are my go-to's. Um, and I I am a huge fan of dark green leafy vegetables and that means you know anything from kale arugula spinach collard greens um baby baby greens um just any of those dark green leafy vegetables they are full of antioxidants they are full of phytochemicals that we can't find anywhere else Mm. and they are full of Um, vitamins like folate that our body just needs desperately and some of us don't process nutrients as well so if you can get lots of dark green leafy vegetables those actually get some of those nutrients that we don't always get from other foods and final question that's kind of my go-to list right there i love that so lots of leafy greens good fats avocados almonds um healthy whole whole um wholesomely raised, I should say, animal products. Um, You know, it's interesting. I just read something the other day about how the commercial factories are using Halloween candy to fatten the cattle as quickly as possible. And then I just heard the other day that there are some new um, chicken factories opening up where the production time has been shortened from six weeks from conception of the chicken through slaughter. They've sped up that timetable. And that's really concerning for the consumer because you're eating a whole lot of things, including the animal's stress at time of slaughter, as well as all the garbage that they've been fed for their short life. Um, it's, it's not good. It's not good. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah, it is. It is really creepy. The garbage that they feed those animals Ugh. that are conventionally raised. It's like, how can you not realize that, you know, garbage in, garbage out. Right. So we are eating garbage. and. I mean, that's where you can really tell the difference between naturally yep. raised proteins and naturally raised foods. It's like you, there's a huge difference. And even in organic veggies, too, it's the same thing. Um, you know, and one thing I didn't, I left out of that list is just a huge variety of brightly colored vegetables because the brighter the color in that vegetable, the more antioxidants it contains. And obviously, that's good for you. So, you know, you don't need to know everything that's in a vegetable, just look at the color of it and go for it. Yeah, and the interesting thing is it's usually the ones that are um, misshapen and, and funky looking, um, you know, the ones where the, the tomatoes or the strawberries are all the same size and they're identical from the, the factory farms. Those, yeah. those are not ideal. They've been ripened with gas in transport from another country and um, picked prematurely and have been deprived of a lot of the, the normal nutrients that they would typically contain. So. Granted, organic is always more expensive, and we realize that, that people are on budgets. Uh, you just want to be a smart consumer and spend your money on the, the things that you, you know, prioritize. 
Um, exactly. And, you know, here's one thing I've really noticed over the years about, and, and I, I have three kids. I raised a family of, here's five people I'm feeding. I had to stick to a budget, but I, you know, it's like, I'll be darned if I'm going to get conventional food. My kids are going to eat organic food and they're going to eat healthy stuff. And you can do it on a budget. And the thing I noticed, though, is that, you know, we were talking about cravings earlier. If you are feeding your body really good, high-quality food, so veggies that are organic and full of nutrients and just bursting with vitamins and minerals and phytonutrients and naturally raised protein, your body is satisfied. You don't need to eat and overeat and eat neat neat because it doesn't take as much because it's like your body's like, okay, I got all the stuff I need here from this healthy food. And to me, it seems like, a little goes a longer way when you're buying better quality food. Totally. And, you know, I want to touch on that a little bit. And, and we're going long on your interview, but this is just so fascinating. I'm just going to keep this going. Um, the level of intentionality and um, purpose that goes into food selection. I guess I've noticed this most as I switched from buying groceries by car to buying groceries by bike. I can only carry so much at once. You know, uh -huh. I've, I've never been a Costco or a Sam's Club member. I don't believe in buying things in bulk. I like picking out enough for two or three meals at a time. For one thing, as just a conscious consumer, I don't like to see food go to waste. Um, but with that has come this selection of specific vegetables and specific foods, kind of one at a time, so to speak. And then when I sit down and eat my meal, I feel really good about what I'm about to consume because it wasn't purchased in mass quantities. And I feel like there was a whole lot more thought and care that went into it. Um, and don't, don't you think that that kind of does change our eating behavior overall? It totally does. And I don't know if that's a subconscious thing or if that's just, just because people like us are more intentional about our eating. But I appreciate the fact that if I have gone to a farmer's market and picked up a bunch of veggies and, and you know, and even naturally raised grass-fed beef or something, it's like some farmer or a group of farmers actually had their hand on these foods and they actually worked on it to right. get the soil correct and they, you know, worked to, like, raise this, this um cow and get it into the right pastures and it was not processed like right. on a factory assembly line where it was thoughtless and mindless yeah. it's like there was mindful work that went into this and I am going to mindfully eat this mm -hmm. and appreciate the fact that it is satisfying my body and giving me the nutrients I need it is it is extremely important and I think that's another thing that we're sort of missing as a society yep. is like being mindful about the food you're eating and being mindful as you're eating it and knowing where it came from. Right. It, it's not just, you know, we're not robots. And right. We don't need to eat food right. off an assembly line. I think we need to eat food that has been mindfully prepared. And I think, and, you know, the preparation of the food makes a difference too. It's like um, if going to McDonald's and eating something that came off an assembly line versus um, somebody mindfully and lovingly cooking, you know, preparing and cooking a meal at home, it's a whole different thing. Totally. And your body knows that too. And I think, frankly, we're less likely to overeat. And, and, you know, there's a bigger thing going on here. You and I are really talking about slowing down and, and, and being just more thoughtful and present. And so that's a whole nother discussion. But I think when we are in this uh, assembly line food consumption mindset, that's where we get into some of the overeating and unnecessary weight gain and consumption because we're not even paying attention to when we're full. Exactly. Yeah. I, so much of that is just, it is unconscious eating. You know, people are eating, um, they got a bag of chips next to their chair and they're staring at the TV, not even thinking about it. And they're eating these chips that are probably loaded with chemicals that right. actually make them not want to stop too. But yeah, it, Mindless eating, is, it does nobody any good except for the big food companies. Sure. We don't want to do them good. No. Well, let me wrap up this first episode with you, Kat, by asking you the names of a couple of your books that you would recommend to our listeners, and then I'm going to make sure to include the links to those on the website as well. Oh, awesome. Okay. Um, the very first book I wrote, which um, to me I think is still a great foundation, and it actually is 
I wrote that in 2009. It's actually the book that my publisher has still been pushing out. It has been sold. I've sold over a million copies all over the world. Wow. And I am still living off of those checks every month. That's and great. I have so much appreciation for him and his marketing ability. But I, that book also speaks for itself. And it's, it's a pretty simple book. It's called The Fat-Burning Kitchen. And um, like I discussed earlier, the first section talks about healthy foods that we have been duped into thinking are good for our bodies and then why they are not, how they are prepared, how they come to us, and a really good educational background on, you know, what is wrong with these foods. And then the whole second chapter, after you're like, okay, now what do I do? <laughs> the whole second part of the book, part two, I mean, not chapter, but part two, is what we should eat. And some of these foods are foods that we have been told are not good for us, but we are now starting to come around and, you know, embrace things like butter and avocados and right. nuts and grass-fed meat and those kind of things. But it does talk about, I go into depth about, why those foods are good for you and how they nourish your body. And it gives you a very good starting foundation on changing your diet. And I have had, it's wonderful to hear from people. And I've had so many people come up and say, wow, this book really enlightened me and has really kind of made me start paying attention to what I'm eating and where I'm getting it and um, how to prepare those things. So that's the first book, Fat Burning Kitchen. Okay. And the second book I wrote, and I think it's very interesting. It's been out a few years, and I sometimes it's like I, I actually ought to go back and read that book. But it's uh, it's called One Hundred and One Foods That Fight Aging. And so I go through in that book, um, I go through all these anti-aging foods, and I have several different chapters. One is about inflammation. Um, one is about something called. And we didn't even talk about this on sugar, but it's called advanced glycated end products, ages, um, that actually age our body and break down our cells inside when we eat them. Um, and then we talk about those foods that um, help to fight all those things, anti-aging, um, anti-inflammatory, um, low sugar, all those things that really help to um, build your body up and to help fight that aging process. And you know what? I I feel like I'm aging pretty slow, and I think, well, I started paying attention to what I ate back when I was in my teens, and I firmly think that it has had a huge effect on me. Which, for our listeners who haven't seen you, I'm definitely going to post some pictures of you to the website, too, but I've met you and... Um, have recently, I guess, had um, a better sense of your actual age. But when I met you, I have to say I, I had you at about 20 years younger than your actual biological <laughs> age. <laughs> you are the awesome. well, you are like a fit, muscly, just healthy, vibrant woman, and um, you just exude the qualities that we all want to exude. Which you know, talk about just absence of wrinkles and just muscles and fit and toned and just smile on your face and you know, gorgeous teeth and clear skin and and so you obviously are living breathing proof of the message that you preach <laughs> awesome thank you very much oh. I, I attribute a little bit of that good good genetics but you know what my parents were actually health fanatics too so i that's it just all comes down to um really what you do with lifestyle and diet totally Thank you for listening to Maximum Enthusiasm with Megan Hopman. Subscribe, check out our blog, and learn more at MaximumEnthusiasm.com.